So let's go ahead and pray. The Lord be with you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this Trinity season. We thank you for this time of growth, this time of sanctification. Um, And we ask that uh, as we look into, continue to look into the mystery of the Holy Trinity, that you would bless this time and illuminate us that we might um, apprehend it, even if we can't fully comprehend it. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, so last week we did almost half of the Athanasian Creed, and we're going to pick up with verse 21 today. But before we do, I, want to, I do want to kind of throw out there and ask you all, um, uh, kind of uh, in anything that, that really stood out to you from last week, looking at this, at the Athanasian Creed, anything that maybe you didn't know, or anything that kind of clicked into place, or anything that totally did not click into place and is super confusing that you all would like any clarification on? Or were we so good that it was straightforward? <laughs> that's, the, that's the one? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, um, yeah, uh, feel free to raise your hand to, to um, if anything does pop up, and we'll, we'll push on then. Um, okay, so what we really were hammering home last week were um, that idea that... Um, that, three, that we have three distinct persons in one trinity, um, that you can't separate, the, you can't separate the, the, the persons to the point where we have three gods, nor can you squish together the three persons to the point where we only have one person. Both of those are errors, and that's kind of what we hammered home last week. Now we're going to look into some of the uh, nitty-gritty of the persons themselves. Verse 21. The Father is made of none, neither creating nor... Sorry. Goodness gracious me, let's try that again. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. Okay, so there, there's where we get into some of these more specific definitions on the persons. Um, the way that theologians have historically talked about this, really from the times of the church fathers, is that the Father is the source of the Godhead. Now, that does not mean that the other two are created from the Father, but that the Father's, that, that really what it says here, he is not created, nor begotten, nor does he proceed from anyone, but he is, he is, he just is, right? Then it describes the Son, not created, nor made, but begotten. So that's describing the relationship between the Son and the Father. That um, uh, the, 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 the beginning here does not imply time. It does specifically does not imply time. It was not like there was the Father once upon a time and then he had the Son. That's not the way that works. Um, matter of fact, that's specifically refuted in these first 20 verses. But that, but that begotten describes, that's the language we use to describe the sonship of the of, of the son so just like um, um, well you look at a really good example is if you look at um, Chicho and Father Marcus Chicho is a mini Marcus isn't he <laughs> I mean I mean he is he is his dad's son um, and and there is so much even even the way they're both really quiet even the both you know they get that mischievous twinkle when they're gonna do something mischievous Y'all know what I'm talking about. And we're going to make sure Father listens to this because he ain't here today. But, um, uh, but 
th this this idea that um, that the son is just like the father, but there is that sonship relationship. Okay, um, it's really hard to put into into precise description, which is why we tend to really limit it to that language of begotten, not made; begotten, not created. Um, this is part of one of those areas where we're going to apprehend, but not but not um, not not fully comprehend. Uh, and so this is where you're going to get where Jesus talks about I and the Father are one. That's part of that begotten language. You know, he, um, just as I am definitively a Rayburg, there is no getting around that. We have, we have our male pattern baldness to prove it. Um, Leviticus 13.41 says he is bald, but he is clean. So there we go. Uh, um, you know, similar, you know, you know that, that's, where, that's where Jesus talked talk about I and the Father are one. You want to know what the Father wants? You want to know what the Father's will is? You should ask me because I'm, I'm, I'm here as his perfect representative. Um, you want to know, um, you want to know what the Father is like, see what the Son is like. Uh, and the big difference, of course, is the Father does not become incarnate for us, right? He does not take on flesh. He does not die for our sins. That's part of the Son's unique role as the Son. In, our, in, our, in the homily today, I referenced the binding of Isaac from Genesis 22. You'll, those of y'all who have been there will see that. Those of y'all that have been there know what I'm talking about. Um, and Abraham could not, could not be bound for the sake of his son, right? That's not the way that worked. Isaac had to be bound. And we see Isaac doing that willingly because he is his father's son, the one whom he loves. Okay? Um, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither begotten nor created. I'm sorry, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. Um... The way St. Augustine describes this is almost that the love between the Father and the Son is personified in the Spirit. The Spirit is that love um, um, in, in, a, in a very personal way. I, I saw something very interesting. If you're following along in our um, readings, our, our, all the way through the lectionary readings, um, how many of y'all are using that for your devotion? Some of y'all? A few of y'all? Okay. Um, this is the time of year when it's easy to fall off because it gets, uh, we, it, it's a lot of reading. So, But when we looked at chapter 4 of Revelation, so we're in Revelation for the uh, morning prayer readings right now. When we looked at chapter, chapter 4, we see the throne, right? And we, we know it's God the Father on the throne. We know that because of some of what goes on before. And it's verse 5. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we have this lamps, this, this lamp before the, the throne, the spirit, and that's the, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, those seven, the, 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 the seven thing, that's, that's a traditional, um, you see this in Isaiah as well, um, kind of properties of the spirit. We're not going to go into that today. We'll do that some other time. I'm looking at the seven, seven, sevenfold um, uh, properties of the Holy Spirit. But we have the seven spirits of God. Now let's go forward to chapter 5. Okay, so the throne, the, the lampstand, which is, which is the, spirit, the, the seven spirits of God, it says, right? So the Holy Spirit. Um, if we go to chapter 5, let's see, what verse are we in? Um, verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and, in, and of the four beats, beasts, and in the midst of the elders, so, so just appearing in this throne room scene, stood a lamb as 
it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So the lamb has the seven spirits of God and, and, is, and you know, symbolizing the horn and the eyes. The throne, the one on the throne, and symbolizing that lamp before the throne. The spirit is proceeding from the Father and the Son. Um, this doesn't give us a lot of theology, but it does give us that, that, that picture. We also see in John 14, um, let's turn to John chapter 14. Um, I hadn't really initially planned to, to go into all of this, but we are anyway. Um, he's talking about sending the Spirit, right? And my, um, yeah, there's one more sheet up here if anybody, if anybody needs a sheet. Um, I don't know who does not have one. We do have another one up here. Um, okay. Verse 16. Verse 16. And I will, um, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may be able, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, knoweth him not, but ye know him, for he will dwell in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Um, so he talks about, you know, the Father is going to send the Spirit. And where are we? Let's, let's skip down a little bit. But the Comforter, verse 26, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Father sends him in Jesus' name. He shall teach you all things. And he, he really kind of comes back to this several times. But we get this idea that part of the reason why the Son is going back to the Father is to request that the Father would send the Holy Spirit in his name, right? And so that's where we get this idea of double procession. Um, the uh, Eastern Church does not like this language. Um, they, they, they think that it impugns upon the Father's authority, um, that it kind of set, or it sets up a hierarchy with uh, number one, two, and three. That is never the way the Western Church um, use this language. And we do see, because of passages like this, scriptural support for this double uh, procession. We also see there are times when the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father. Other times he's called the Spirit of Christ. And so we do have this idea that, um, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, the, the big issue, I mean, the biggest issue probably for the East, though, is that when the Nicene Creed was originally came to its 381 form, um, it did not have the double procession. It only said the Spirit proceeded from the Father. The Latin Church, the Western Church later on adds and the, and the Son to that language. And part of that was because we had a revival of Arianism going on in Spain. So remember what Arianism is? Okay, Arianism is that heresy that says the Son was created, the Son was made. So the Son is, is a, a little God, less than the Father, but he was a God that was created by the Father. Um, who, who, who believes that these days? Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, I had a, had a really nice JW couple came to our door inviting us to some big conference in Houston, and so we, uh, we decided to talk the gospel a little bit. He, I gave him my card. He's probably going to stop by the office. I think we're going to try to convert each other. He will not win. <laughs> um, yeah, but so that, that'll be fun. I, 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 I they're very, um, I like the fact that they, uh, that they are so um, evangelistic that they're willing to, to uh, 
spend 15 minutes talking to an Anglican priest, despite the fact that, you know. Um, anyway, so that's where we get some, that's where we talk about this, um, neither created nor begotten, but proceeding of the Father and the Son. Okay, verse 24. Um, so there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits, and in this Trinity, none is afore or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved must think thus of the Trinity." Um, remember that language at the end of whoever will be saved. We're, we're talking about how important having the right belief is to our salvation. Because if you're putting your trust in a Jesus who is not God, he can't save you, can he? Or a Jesus who is not man, he can't save you, can he? Or if we're having three gods, well, that's not really the God of the Bible, is it? So, you know, the, 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 the three gods cannot save you. Um, so that's, that's why that's so important. Um, there's another thing that comes here with this, this co-equal, co-eternal, none afore or after another. Um, there was a, a controversy floating around the Reformed world. Um, oh gosh, it's been floating around here and there for a few years. It was huge about, about seven, eight years ago. Um, and this controversy was over this concept called the eternal subordination of the sun. The, the eternal subordination of the Son. And this was the idea where they, where some people were saying that the Son's submission to the Father is, is, is essential to the Sonship, is that he is really less than the Father. Which, you know, and, and they're using various scriptures, and there's, there's this big kind of scriptural uh, Pokemon contest, I choose you sort of thing. Um, <laughs> We, we, we see the, the age of the audience here. Um, uh, but but I, I really appreciated um, uh, Carl Truman um, on, on, and on one of his shows. He said, you know, if, if they would have understood the creeds and the councils, this would not be an issue. Because this, you know, the idea that the, that the son, certainly the son submits his will to the father in, um, in his incarnation. That's very true. But there's no need for submission in wills in, 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 their, in their divinity because they have one will. And, and part of the issue that, that happens, we're gonna, we might touch on this in the next section, is that we see that in the incarnation, this is kind of the topic of the fifth and sixth councils, is that the son does indeed have a full human will and a full divine will. And that human will submits itself to the will of the father. And the reason why he has to have a full human will is because if you don't have a human will, you're not human, right? If you're going to be truly man, you got to have so. So that's where that comes in. Um, some again, a lot of a lot of the problems that we have in the church would not be problems if we looked at our at some of our foundational stuff, right? Because this is this is. I mean, sometimes it's true. Scripture is so big that we can get confused. But things like the creed give us kind of a cheat sheet for some of the big doctrines of Scripture, right? The most important doctrines of Scripture. Okay, verse 29. Um, and anything on this before we move on? We're, we're good for the most part? Okay. Verse 29. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe rightly the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
For the right faith that we believe and confess that our, that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. God of the substance of the Father. Remember, substance is that technical word, meaning that, they, that, that, that he shares in the, in the Godhead, right? Um, so God of the substance of his Father, begotten before worlds. Man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. So Christ having those two natures, the divine nature and the human nature in the incarnation. Perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsiding. Reasonable meaning that he is that, that his soul, his human intellect, his human will, his human emotions are truly human and are capable of human reasoning. Um, so of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting. He doesn't have some non-human divine soul, right? It's an actual human soul um, that, that is joined to his divinity. Equal to the Father is touching his Godhead. Inferior to the Father is touching his manhood. That's where that, that subordination is, is in the incarnation, right? Uh, who, although he is God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One not by conversion of the Godhood into flesh, but by taking of that manhood into God. Uh, so we, we did not change anything about his divinity in the incarnation. But what we did is join the humanity to his divinity, a true humanity. One altogether, not by confusion of substances, but by unity of person. So we're not having this squished together um, demigod here. This is, this is not like Greek mythology, but this is one person who has two natures, two substances, the human and the divine. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man... Um, so God and man is one, one Christ. We have a flesh, we have a soul, right? And together that makes one man. Well, similarly, God and man together, one Christ. He was not Christ before the incarnation. He was the son, but he was not yet Christ, right? Who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose the third day from the dead. Um, hell in this context is not the place, not necessarily the place of torment, but the place of the dead. Um, that's the older usage of the word. Um, think the Greek Hades, the Hebrew Sheol, uh, the grave. Um, the, you know, this is not saying that he uh, that he was uh, he went to suffer damnation for us. That's that's that is not a patristic idea. That's a very recent idea that a lot of people think is wrong, and I kind of agree with that. Um, okay, so he 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 because um, he went he went to he when he in going to the grave he went as a conqueror, right? Not as a not someone being punished. You know, the punishment is on the cross. He suffered. It is finished, he said, on the cross. It's not, it's finished, but i got to go get damned for three days. It's not, that's not what it says, right? Okay. Um, who ascended, he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, God Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, that means the living. He shall judge the quick and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies. Bodily resurrection. Right? Not just, you know, getting our, getting our wings and our harp in heaven. That's not what they're talking about. And shall give accounts of their own works. And they that have done good shall go, go into life everlasting. And they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Let's back up to verse 43. Is that teaching works righteousness? They that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. Jesus said, this is the word of God, if you believe on him, he is sent. The 
Bingo! <laughs> Perfect. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Um, to do good, we must believe in the Son because all of our other goodness is not goodness. The only, good, the only truly good we have is when the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to believe in the Son. So yeah, perfect. Uh, yes, Bob? You know, I read this, I, I got out the, the, the article mm. because the article specifically states you may not be saved by good works alone. Right, right. I mean, so this, in a sense, contradicts that, but I, I look at it this way, my life is my witness, and the, the, my, my life is the outgrowth of my faith, so therefore that's what makes this yeah, and so that's yeah. So and part of what's going on with this with this with this issue is that how one is justified was really not a controversy until the time of the Reformation, and so when when the when the people the ancients would read this or recite this, they that, that have done good, generally they would understand exactly what um, what was said that that, that that is that has its roots in. Um, in, 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 in belief. You know, the, the, we cannot separate our works from our belief. And if anybody's trying to have good works without belief in the Son, you know, that's not going to fly. What happens at, um, by the time of the Reformation is that the concept of justification gets a little perverted in the Western Church. And so they're thinking of justification not in its legal sense declared righteous, right? That, which is the sense in the Greek, but they're thinking more in terms, more of a Latin sense of justification, of, of, um, which is having done justice, done the right thing. So what we have with, in the articles, and this is typical of the reformers, is that they, they say, we are justified, that is declared righteous by faith alone, um, um, uh, justification, sorry, by grace alone through faith alone um, beca because of all the things that we talk about in that article. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start a series on the articles here soon. Um, they said, but your good works are fruit and proof of that justification. If there are no good works, that shows you're not really justified. That you don't have that belief. You don't have that trust. You don't have faith. You, and, and you're not walking in grace. And so that, and, and that's, and, and every one of the magisterial reformers, whether it's the, 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 the Genevan folks under Calvin, the German folks under Luther, um, the, uh, the Swiss folks under Zwingli, or the English folks under all of our myriad people that gives us the Book of Common Prayer, we all agree on that point, that you are, you are saved by faith alone, but there's no such thing as a faith that is alone. You know, faith is always accompanied by good works. Those good works don't save you, but they're always there if you got faith. And so, um, so and that, that's really where we, where we would kind of not put an asterisk at number 43, but where we would need to interpret it in light of those things. Yes, sure. Well, one of the reasons I'm living in John 17 is to know what's on Jesus' heart and what's important to him. Yeah. Yeah. 
and pastorally speaking, what's going to happen if you're, if you are abiding in his words, you are believing in his works, is that's going to change you from the inside out and there will be good works. Now, we're going to sometimes be tempted to be lazy. We're going to be sometimes be tempted to be a little rebellious. We're going to, you know, our flesh, the world and the devil certainly do battle against us. And so with, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we continue to fight, which is why sanctification is a process, right? Um, that's that, and that's what Trinity Trinity Tide is all about: is that sanctification. But sanctification is not what saves you; it's that justification that saves you, that belief in in who Jesus is, what He has done, and all that sort of thing. We are out of. Well, we got one minute. We got one minute. We can field another, one more question or comment, and then we got to go. I think then we will go. All right. I will see you all either in mass or next week. And we will definitely have catechesis this Wednesday. I apologize for those of y'all that didn't get the message and showed up early. Um, yeah, coming back from assembly was a lot rougher than I expected. All right. You want to make an announcement about Carrie? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let me, let me turn off this because this doesn't need to be podcasted. Um.